Riverside. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of our podcast. I'm Lucas, I got Chris here along with Uriah, and we have another special guest yet again. It is one of our contributors for the website, long-time guest, long-time contributor, Jonathan Gibe. Jonathan, it's the off-season, and we're glad to have you back on the podcast. Thank you, I'm glad to be back. Looking forward to uh, season starting up soon. Absolutely, absolutely. And we got some very juicy topics to talk about today. Yeah. So in case people out there are living under a rock, uh, Ben Simmons recently made an appearance on JJ Reddick's podcast, which is somewhat unfortunate because it means I have to talk about Ben Simmons on the podcast again, and I'm probably going to sound like a big softy with a big heart, and people are going to be mean to me. Um, All right, John. The interview went on for over an hour. This is pretty much the first time we've gotten to really hear Ben speak about his time in Philly and what's coming up in Brooklyn. Obviously, it was in, I assume, a pretty comfortable setting for him. Him and JJ are clearly friends. They played together in Philly for several years. They're close. What's one thing that stood out to you most during the interview? Yeah, so honestly, I I was just mostly shocked that Ben did this interview at all. I know you were saying like comfortable scenario and everything that definitely helped and contributed to it. But he spoke about every event that people had been wanting him to talk about that he'd been ducking for over a year. Yeah, granted, JJ's his boy and he threw him some absolute lob of questions. But and he was kind of agreeing with Ben on almost everything he said, which I'm sure there was discussion beforehand about how the conversation would go. But I was still surprised that he would even talk about some of the topics He went in detail, everything from the passed up dunk, which I just put an article out about to uh, the Russell Westbrook video in the candy store. Like he hit everything. And I was kind of shocked he did that. Yeah, you you bring up that JJ gave him some lobs. And I I absolutely think JJ was trying to make sure he his friend felt comfortable in that. But overall, it was a good interview. Like you said, it was kind of shocking that he did it. I think if this had come out during the summer after the the whole entire Hawks series, I think the reaction to how people thought of them would have changed dramatically. The the two things that there are two things that stood stood out to me here. One, Ben Simmons never directly said Joel Embiid. He never mentioned his name. As far as I remember, now you can correct me if I'm wrong. But J.J. was just like, oh, well, Doc and jo- and uh, and Joel threw you underneath the bus. But Ben Simmons never uttered the name Joel Embiid once during that, you know, that interview. Now, he, ins- you know, insinuated Joel. That's maybe not, once that's not, I think he said it. I, once I don't think yeah. I don't think so. It, it, it was not a big sticking point. Clearly, no, Doc, no. The, Doc was the main one that he felt betrayed by, which – is funny considering all things that Doc was trying to do to help him feel comfortable that first year. The second thing is that Ben kind of, you know, he addressed the lack of three-point shooting, but he didn't address why he wouldn't shoot threes in games. He just said, oh, it's an issue. And, like, people bringing it up makes it more of an issue. But I guess the other thing is, and this is something that I kind of pulled from – what's his name, Zach Lowe's podcast, he never talked about the bad free throw shooting. Like, what was up with that? I guess we can attribute it to him being in a bad place, but still, that hit was historically bad. So that's those are just some of the things I pulled away from it. 
one thing that stood out to me is how many times he contradicted himself. Oh, absolutely. At one point, Simmons is like, well, it's not about the money. No, it's oh not. It's yeah, no, no, yeah, amount of, no amount of money, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Meanwhile, he goes back and tries to recoup the money that he, quote unquote, lost absolutely. when he didn't even play as if he absolutely. deserved to get that money. So oh. he's talking out the side of his mouth. And as far I think he did, Lucas mentioned his shooting woes. He said it's like he was confused. He he and I took notes, guys. He's like, I was confused. I wasn't should I shoot it? Should I not shoot it? The one thing that stood out really had to do with him playing in Brooklyn compared to Philadelphia. He kept saying, This team fits me. This team fits me. He's able to do the things that fits his skill set. And I can't get mad at that because that's his game, run and gun. He doesn't have to worry about shooting from the perimeter. But I think that, like you said earlier, Jonathan, there were a lot of lobs. JJ's very good at what he does. He tweeted back at me. I don't, I, I'm just going to put it out there. I tweet, I responded to him. I called him a politician. He'd be a good politician one day on Twitter. And JJ Reddick actually responded, hey, thanks, which is completely full of sarcasm, which is fine. But he's good at what he does. He got Ben to open up and do something that nobody on the planet could do, which is get him to speak about his deficiencies, his most embarrassing moments as an NBA player. And kudos to JJ. But I'm curious to see what Chris thinks. Well, Uriah, I just wanted to say when he was also in terms of contradiction, what like blew me out of the water was him saying he didn't know which Hawk was underneath the hoop when he was spinning the dunk. I was like – and he he said, boasted about, I have like one of the best basketball IQs, so underrated. (laughs) And it's like you see him re-watching the video. You see him scan the court like for a good couple seconds. He knows who's under the court. I was like, how do you expect us to believe you? Like it's just not true. And you know what, Jonathan? Here's the thing. If J.J. was anything worth an NBA veteran who really wants to give the audience true objectivity – my response as an interviewer would have been, well, would Zion Williamson would have passed that up? Would John ja Morant pass that ball? In no, that no, okay. At that, no, that. come on, Lucas. Would would Zion pass the ball in that position? Okay, but that's not JJ's job to ask Ben that question. But he's asking Ben Ben's perspective of it. He's not challenging Ben's perspective of it. That's- well, that that's what makes him so good. He he doesn't he doesn't want to ruffle feathers, so he doesn't make him not want to come back and and reveal the deepest darkest things that and like you hear like like they're best best friends and it was revealed in the podcast that there was a little bit of tampering on getting jj to philly through and it was because of a mutual friend that him and ben simmons had okay so so like they have a and like i'm sure jj doesn't want to like put ben on blast like that's that's like look yeah, he gave him some lobs, but at the end of the day, they are friends. Like, I don't expect JJ to put him on blast. Like, JJ's not that. I have never the only person JJ has ever put on blast that I can remember throughout his playing career was um, Griffin from New Orleans. Right. So, and that was only very recently. So, I just i i I don't think that's I, it's a fair question for us to ask, but it's not a fair question for JJ to ask. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. Okay, we, we've been making Chris wait too long, guys. Let's <laughs> not interrupt Chris. Let's, Chris, let's go. 
Look, I, I mean, I agree with Jonathan. I, I was so much surprised that JJ got Ben to do this. But like you guys said, there's a reason he did it with JJ and not, you know, Stephen A. Smith or any other number of media personas. It's like JJ's just not going to ask the super hard questions in a specific way that's targeting Ben Simmons. Like, exactly, Lucas. He's not going to grill Ben. And that's probably part of why Ben agreed to do it with JJ. We've known from the past already that JJ has been very vocal in his support of Ben before this interview. Like, like we knew where JJ stands on these issues. Like, for the most part, it seemed like Ben was pretty genuine. Like, it, it was a pretty illuminating interview as far as how Ben's head was working in these different scenarios that I think like he talked through the back injury which I know we spent several podcast episodes is he really hurt clearly well now we now and now we know yeah yeah well now we know yeah he made certain aspects of the Sixers fan base and that whole process look kind of stupid like it was stupid to sit there and ask if his back was really hurt like that was in hindsight pretty dumb and like, but in the moment, I think it was fair of us to question it. In the I, moment, I, I don't know. I, I mean, in the at the end of the day, and, until he got surgery, it was fair of us to question it. After he got surgery, I, we, everybody should have stopped because nobody just gets back surgery to get back surgery. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's ever really a good scenario to question whether a guy's lying about his injuries or not. I, I think that's generally pretty ridiculous. Like. But anyways, he, he opened up. He was pretty open about his mental health struggles, about what went down in that practice with Doc Rivers where he got kicked out at the very beginning of last season. Like, he, he touched so, on it all, like you said, John. Uh-huh. And yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say Ben is like a perfect person or that he isn't arrogant and self-aggrandizing in certain spots or whatever. Clearly has a high opinion of himself. But like, look, guys. <laughs> Ben clearly doesn't think he's a good shooter and doesn't think that he needs to shoot to impact the game, which is true. He's a good player without it. And like, we've just beat that dead horse over and over again. It's time to move on to something different. He's not going to like talk about how he needs to become a great three point shooter. It's just not going to happen. I believe that he was not mentally in a place to play last season. I think that's probably true. And does he care about the money enough to, yeah, I mean, look, if you could get $20 million back, would you not do it? Whether you care, like, he was clearly willing to risk it to not play. Like, he p- put that money at risk. Of course, you'd try to get it back if you could, though. Like, that doesn't necessarily mean he only cared about the money. But it, it seemed pretty genuine to me. I'm not saying Ben's a perfect person, but it was a pretty interesting interview, and I thought he was pretty open and honest with most things and you know not to be like oh i sympathize with ben simmons but it's nice that he's reached a point where he's willing to talk about these things and he seems pretty content going into next season like i don't want to wish the guy ill so it's nice that he's reached this point and i'm interested to see how next season plays out no notes from anyone fair okay i mean look (laughs) Uh, yeah, we yeah we could we could beat this dead horse for like forty minutes. We're not yeah. going. Let's like go, he didn't go to talk the next about question. the shooting. He's not a shooter. He doesn't clearly doesn't think it's. I, 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 like, look, 
I, 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 there is like one thing I want to talk about, but I don't want to talk about it until we get to the question. So I'm, I'm holding okay. myself back. All right. So, John, to you first, do you think there's anything Reddick missed that he didn't talk about that you wish he had talked about? I don't think he really missed anything, but I kind of was hoping that Ben would talk a little bit more about like the immediate aftermath of Game 7. The, clearly, a big rift came about when Joel and Doc had some comments, obviously, right after. I feel like that started to create like this big gap, and there must have been more that went on than just those comments, or if that was it. Like I, I just kind of wanted a little more clarity around that it just still seems like there's a lot of vagueness about like what happened right away yeah i'm gonna I, i'm gonna say that i i would like more for i would have liked more information about two different things one his general relationship with sam hinky because he never really mentions and not sam sorry not sam hinky sorry daryl Morey. and then the other thing is how he felt when the first time james harden rumor started in 2000, you know, during the bubble season. That's that's what I wanted. Not the, was it the bubble season? No, yeah, it was the bubble season. No, wait a second. I'm I'm getting mixed up on my timeline. The first time James Harden was two years ago. Thank you. Sorry. Anyway, my point being is I wanted to know how he felt about that, but I guess that's minor details in the grand scheme of things, but it would have been nice to know what yeah. his perspective on that was. Yeah, I, I think both of you bring up good points. I, I mean, I think the big obvious thing is it would have been interesting to hear Ben talk more specifically and open up about his relationship with Joel, just in mm-hmm. general. That would have been yeah. interesting to hear about. He had plenty of opportunities to do that within just the flow of the conversation and obviously opted not to. Like he said, Lucas, he didn't really bring up Joel once. I, I think he brought up Joel in context of like, hey, we built a team where like people want to go to Philly now. We helped build that. Like Joel Tobias are great players there. So it's not like he never said Joel's name, but he, he didn't open up about that relationship specifically at all, like he said. So it would have been nice to hear him talk about that. I think that's that was like a big point of contention when Ben was even on the team. It was like him and Joel didn't always seem to get along. There was some conflict there about whose team it was for a minute before Joel really took off. So that would have been interesting. But you won't, you know, it's an hour and 17 minutes. You can't touch on every single thing ever. And I mean, Reddick got from high school, college through this upcoming season. Like he covered a lot of ground in that hour and got Ben to talk about things he hasn't been able to talk about for a year and a half. So that was, you know, it's hard to complain too much. So I, that, makes all the sense in the world i think everybody who walked away from that interview wanted to hear more juicy conversation related to how he feels about joel Embiid, and it never went there and we'll never get that at least not anytime soon the one thing that i really wish reddick would have brought up is his relationship with brett brown i really Ooh. wanted to i really yeah. wanted to hear Reddick. What do you mean, Brett? Well, specifically, Lucas, I wanted to hear him say, hey, remember when you made your first three-pointer in an NBA game against the New York Knicks, and then you made another three-pointer against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and then Brett Brown went on publicly and just, you know, encouraged you to shoot more threes, but you didn't? 
I would have loved to have heard why he just stopped. What what was it about that situation, that that gap, that range of time where the coach encouraged you to shoot, but you just didn't? I, I really wish he would have went there. Not to like defend Ben again, but like I do. Again, I think we like focus and harp on the threes way too much. It's just not as important. Chris, it's not about harping on threes. It's spacing. It's just spacing, man. Like I, I, if he, he shot, if he went one, Chris, if he went one for ten, I would have been cool with that. One for fine. ten, but clearly that's just not how he views his game, and we, we can all recognize that. There's nothing more to talk about. It's just not how he plays. We don't talk about well, Rudy Gobert not shooting threes. We don't talk about because he's not a perimeter player, Chris. Exactly, he's not a point guard. When you're a point guard, you you shoot jump shots. It's it's part of the game. T.J. McConnell took jump shots. Yeah, he wasn't. T.J. was but... horrible. Andre Miller was a horrible three point shooter, but he shot him. Alfred Payton, hello. Horrible. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, anyway. look, he talked specifically about Brett's system, about those early days with all the shooting around him. Like he he talked. About oh, I I I, I like that. That goes to our next question. Too. Era system. He talked about how he sees his game fitting in the NBA, like what his strengths are. Like, like he talked about all that stuff. So talked about how Brett became, had him start out as point guard. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not like they didn't talk about Brett Brown and, and like the shooting is not a non-issue. I'm not saying there's nothing to talk about there, but like JJ even brought up the shooting and it, it's just clear that it's not a big issue in Ben's head. And like that's but, fine. Again, I think he's a very good player without yeah. the jumper. It would be nice if he was a great shooter, but he's not a good shooter. That's just the f- fact of his game, and he impacts the game in other ways. And like that's a true statement when he says that. Like I do other things. I guard the best player every night. I'm passing the ball. I'm creating all these open threes for other players. Like that's all objectively true. He's doing a whole lot else beyond the three point shot. So I, I just think there are other things to touch on other than the, the threes. And, and real hey, quick, before right. I move he, 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 Sorry. I'm no, I, I just want to say that the one part I think Jonathan mentioned earlier, the dis, like the whole idea of the Ben Simmons passing up that dunk and then bringing up Trey, Trey Young, his perspective on it. And, oh, you, oh, I spun into a jersey. It could have been a jersey. I'm like – and then he tried to dismiss the whole idea of like, uh, I guess, how his teammates felt. Well, if you go back and look at that footage, the moment he passed it up, not only did Embiid look like, what are you doing? Why didn't you dunk that? Look at Seth Curry. He was incredulous. He kind of like put his hands up like, yo, what are you doing? So I, I just think it was it was a really ingenuine question in that segment about the whole passing up on that dunk. It was just he was just giving him he, he such was a trying pass to brush it. That. Yeah, yeah. Brush yeah it he was trying to brush it. Yeah. He, he was trying to made a mistake. Yeah, he did admit that. He did admit. He said, I would have punched it, but he, he, he just – He said, it looks bad. I should have dunked it. Like, what else should he say? No, yeah, but he said that, like, after the fact. He was trying to say that, like, he, he was like, it's a bang-bang play. Essentially, that was Which his argument. true. Like, okay. But, how do we know it's – how do we know what went through his head on that play? We, I'm not we can't saying honestly it's sit not, here and say we know that he I'm saw – I'm not saying it's not a bang-bang play or what's going through his head, but, like, Good players make good decisions in quick moments. That was an awful decision. If he said that, everyone would have been okay. Like if you're on the podium after the game and someone's like, why don't you punch it on Trey Young's head? And he's like, 
mental lapse. I messed up. You think people are taking that way better than what's going on now? Yeah, no. I mean, because remember what he did say was, I am who I am. It is what it is. Yeah, that was um, unbelievable. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm just going to say this real quick. You're right. He did say he's, he is going to try to shoot this year, which will be hilarious. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I he Jokingly in some some aspects. I don't know if it's actually going to – it doesn't matter. But I think we, we can go to the next question, right, Chris? Yeah. So let's talk about Brooklyn now. Obviously, Ben, just from the interview, is, is pretty excited to play with that team. He mentioned all the spacing and the pacing of those – early days with Philly, especially that 16-game win streak when Joel got hurt and there was Marco, Ersan, JJ. He clearly liked playing that style of basketball. And now in Brooklyn, he has Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, all sorts of shooting, a big who runs before Nick Claxton. Like, he mentioned all these things. How scary do you think that team could be, John, with a rejuvenated Ben Simmons? Yeah, I mean, if we're just going like on paper, realistically, and Simmons, KD, and Kyrie are all healthy and playing at their strengths, I, I don't see why this team isn't in the NBA Finals. Like, that's KD's to me is currently the best player on planet Earth. And when Kyrie is like committed and focused, granted, I'll touch on that in a second, but like when he is, he's unguardable. He came back like, what, what was it after the when the Nets let him come back last year, like within a month of him coming back to the team, he dropped 60 as if he'd been with the team the whole year and he mm-hmm. like hadn't been practicing or playing. So, and then you have Ben who he had, he had been practicing just not with the team at the facility, but yes, anyway, sorry. No. Yeah. So, and, and Ben, if he comes back and like he's saying, this does kind of fit him well. So all that on paper, Basketball-wise, like talent-wise, they should be favored in the East, which I think they are, like on betting sports books. But that is all considering that there's no drama and that everyone's completely bought in, and that's just completely unrealistic to think. I mean, these are three of the most narcissistic players in the NBA, uh, and their drama just follows them around. Like, I mean, KD's on and off hurt. Like, he doesn't really have drama, but on and off hurt last year, like – Kyrie out because of the vaccine just makes dumb decisions. Doesn't seem like he's committed to basketball and Ben hasn't played basketball in over a year and a half, like competitive basketball. So taking all that into perspective, I I don't know how good they're actually going to be. We got to see how, if there is any chemistry uh, issues or off the court issues, but I mean, strictly basketball, if I'm just like looking at it, comparing it to people on paper, they're really good. So I'm going to agree with you on paper. They should be a, a finals contender. And I think, like you said, if they're all in, the players are so good. The issue is not only the chemistry stuff that you mentioned, but also Steve Nash. Look, I love Steve Nash as a player. One of the best playmakers of all time is in terms of terms of getting your teammates involved. Absolutely loved him as a player. Good person all around. He's already lost that locker room. Kyrie Irving's never really respected Nash because I, and I don't know if you guys heard the story, but back when Nash first got the job, he had a party over at his house with the players and Kyrie asked him in front of everybody to give back one of his MVP trophies to Kobe. Clearly Kyrie loves Kobe, but that's not something you say to your head coach. And just since then there's been, you know, like private practices with just him running with the other players, no Steve Nash involved, like, and then, 
KD asking for Steve Nash to get fired. Granted, I think that was more of a political move than, you know, just a leverage move more than he actually wants Nash fired. Um, I just, I think they need a different voice in that locker room, honestly. I think Mark Jackson would be the perfect coach for that group. But I I don't know. I, I look on on and Steve Nash does have the the blue. You know who would be really good for that group? Mike D'Antoni. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, hey, you know what? You're not Chris. Chris, yeah. you're not. You're not wrong. Actually, Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. I yeah, agree, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if we're talking about from like a stylistic standpoint, absolutely. I don't know if my Mike D'Antoni can get those guys all in line, but look. Kyrie's he's in a contract year. He's trying to get long-term pay. He's going to be more focused yeah. now than ever. At least he should be. If he's not, then we might not be talking about Kyrie Irving in the next three years as an NBA player. Um, then you have Ben Simmons. We saw from the interview, he's ready to play. I'm all for it. Kevin Durant, look, he needs to make the best of a bad situation. He didn't want to be there. That's fine. He's gonna. He's still going to play. There's no question about that. So, I think this team could be a really hard out in the Eastern Conference playoffs right now, but unless they change head coaches, I just don't see them going all the way. They could be the best team in the East, considering Ben Simmons is one of the top defensive players in the entire league. He has great vision. I I admit he has great talent, and I think that this team can flourish because of his strengths. But I want to say one more thing about the Sixers and his connection. And it has to do with the Lakers legacy, which they just started coming out with new episodes. So the most recent episode, they were it's focusing on the Shaq and Kobe years. And there's one instance where the team was having a lot of conflict to the point where Del Harris had lost control. Uh, Rick Fox and some of the other guys, Robert Horry, veterans were looking at Kobe like, gosh, so selfish. He can't he doesn't want to play with us. We don't trust him. And at that moment, Kobe Bryant had a decision to make. And in game seven against the Portland Trailblazers in the 2000 playoffs, it was that one light, that was one lob dunk to Shaq that changed everything. And if you watch it, you'll see like that was the catalyst. If Ben Simmons had just took a bite of humble pie and said, let me do what's best for the team, like Kobe did what was best for the Lakers in 2000. Him and Joel could have we, – we would have two championships by now. Maybe not two, maybe one. But I, I just think it's – Probably one. I think to close the chapter on this, look, like Chris – like I, I don't wish bad on anyone. I, I hope Ben Simmons has a, has a great career. I just wish it would have worked out because, like me, Lucas, John, everyone on this podcast right now, we saw the potential in him. It just didn't work out here because he just wasn't ready. He wasn't mature enough to face his demons – to be honest with himself, to be honest with the fan base, to be honest with the me- with the media, and he he just didn't grow into that maturity yet. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, on paper, like everyone said, the Nets are contenders in the East this year. If Ben is healthy and he's back and he's playing at full strength, and Kyrie and Kevin Durant are healthy, playing at full strength, even if they aren't like a thousand percent engaged and on the same page as one another, that's going to be a really good team. They should be the best offensive team in basketball by a country mile. Yeah. I'm more concerned about the defense because as great as Ben is, they don't really have a traditional rim protector and Claxton is not the best offensive fit with Ben because neither. Oh, you can make that work. You can make that work. 
it, you, you can make it work. They will be a really good team. Yeah. Um, Even if they don't fit offensively, you still have three elite shooters around those guys. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think defense is the concern with Brooklyn. The offense is going to work itself out. Um, yeah. I, I mean, for all the points that we've said, for all the points that have been made in the episode, that team's going to be really good. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are two generational offensive talents. They're both guys who kind of do their own thing on offense from time to time. You know, they aren't like, it's not like Steph and Clay would fit with Ben. You know, Ben will have to learn to play different roles. They're not just spot up shooters, but they're going to figure it out. It's going to be a really good team if everything goes right. Ben is really a very, very good third best player, and he can absolutely be third best player on a championship team so yeah Brooklyn's the real deal and the Nets are going to be a threat to Philly they're going to be a threat to Boston Milwaukee all the top teams in the east they're a team you're going to have to reckon with could it all go downhill could Kyrie do something you know profoundly stupid and mess things up of course he could like Kyrie's just like going off the I don't off the rails right now I really don't know what's going on with that dude but if they're all healthy, if they're all playing, if Kyrie doesn't go on a year-long sabbatical to the mountains somewhere to live in a cave, they should be a really good team. Like, they just are. So, yeah, they're pretty scary. That's all I would say about it. <laughs> so, John, to kind of round out this Ben Simmons segment, Austin Rivers took to Instagram to sort of question the veracity of Ben Simmons' outlook on things on the podcast in response to a doctor who was noting the lack of support on social media for people's mental health in relation to Ben Simmons. Austin was like, bro, you actually believe this dude? Do you think that's fair, John? What, what's your perspective on, on Austin Rivers' take there? Obviously, this is Doc Rivers' son, which is sort of of note potentially what was your opinion on that so like you were saying earlier i think that ben giving this interview if anything came of it good for him it's that he was giving a lot more clarity into his headspace in a lot of times that i think people didn't know and were just questioning him based specifically on his actions um and kind of with the perspective of that john wall article that came out this week regarding mental health i think that Around this topic, especially with Simmons, I think it's smart um, to walk kind of a fine line uh, and and like like you said, just maybe go a little easier on Ben. Now, with saying all that, living in Philly and obviously being a huge Sixers fan, going to games for the last six years that Ben has been there, I 100% understand where Austin Rivers is coming at, and it's hard to not agree with him in some places. I mean, Simmons – did so many things the wrong way when he was here. And I think maybe just not publicly communicating what he was going through or, or just saying anything as opposed to letting the narrative run wild could have been a lot better, but he did. uh, I don't think he took accountability enough for some of the things he did. And I think what Austin Rivers was just trying to say is like, man, if you were in this, if you live this in Philly, like there's a lot that you don't understand that kind of, kind of went on that rubbed people the wrong way. And and just obviously what you touched on, like it's it's the 
head coaches of the Sixers son and Simmons went in on Doc at points during the podcast. So obviously uh, Austin's not going to be happy with that. Yeah, I I, I want to build off that last statement that you made there. Remember what Ben said in that portion of the podcast when he was talking about when he came back to the team trying to be a good teammate. He went up to Doc Rivers. He said, Doc, I'm not ready. I can't do this today. Doc's, and he said that Doc told him, well, I'm putting you in it anyway. And then immediately put him in at the beginning of practice. Um, Doc Rivers has been known as a very good guy. Yeah, no. Like, let's just be honest. It's a bad look on Doc. Yeah, I don't – I I want to believe that Doc wouldn't purposely put a player out like that. Like, it doesn't seem like in his character. I, I mean, who knows? I understand why things did not go well, why chemistry broke down in Brooklyn and Boston. But, like, I'm not saying that – I don't think Doc did it, but if, if it comes out that he did – how surprised would we actually be considering his track record? Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like doc in general, I think is at at least in NBA circles is well-respected. And this is kind of like a, he said, he said, and who knows what happened again. Again, I think in order to react properly, we need to know the truth, but I mean, are we just automatically going to be taking what Ben said for Bible today? Mm Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and this is and this comes yeah, and this comes Look, back. Austin is protecting his dad in this statement clearly. Ben, if anything, Ben made clear in those early days of the drama that he didn't want to play. Right? He didn't yeah. feel up to playing, and we know that Doc put him in practice that day because we have video of him in practice. <laughs> like that was actually the day before, but yes. So, okay. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, because I remember it was the cell phone thing, but it was actually just a towel, another jersey, apparently, according to Ben, which I know Uriah made a big deal about. <laughs> I did make a big deal of it. Maybe I was wrong. Look, I look. Uriah, I, don't... I, th- I think you need to issue an apology to Ben. Uh, right. I, I'll do that when Ben uh, starts shooting threes. But my look, Doc <laughs> Rivers, Doc Rivers has nothing to prove. This guy played for over a decade uh as a point guard atlanta hawks new york knicks coach all you know championship you know albeit the big three that was kind of like falling on his lap he has nothing to prove uh at this point of his career and his son probably realized that it's like why would he come out and just bring that up like does he feel like he needs to defend his dad as if doc rivers doesn't have enough respect around the league so I think that maybe there's something there. Like now, Ben is not this, ben is not this yeah, angel. What he's not this angel that he never did anything wrong. What qualifies yeah. Austin Rivers to talk about Ben Simmons' like mental space? He doesn't. Chris, I'm, I'm sure that you know whatever relationship, whatever relationship you have with your family, your dad, your mom, there's probably stuff that they come home and tell you that they're not going to tell their coworkers. And yeah, it's up to you to share that with us or your friends is like, oh, man, my dad's dealing with this at work. But it's just social media is, was his choice of, of displaying that that information. So I, I don't I don't necessarily think he yeah. has a dog in the fight. That's all I'm saying. No, now, I, I, now, hang on, guys, real quick. What kind of concerns me about that 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 story is that JJ JJ didn't have a strong reaction to it one way or another. No follow up question either. 
regarding how Doc presented that. Yeah, was I mean, that uh, JJ protecting Ben, or is that JJ confirming that okay, yeah, I knew this, or yeah, I I suspect that this is probably true. I yeah, I don't not believe Ben in that situation. Like it seems like a pretty believable take on the events. Like I I, I don't have trouble believing him. Like I'm sure. Yeah, so, you Doc, so, 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 so you think that so you think Doc would purpose the Sixers spent weeks finding him for not practicing and not playing in games like the Sixers clearly wanted him to do things that he didn't want to do like that's that's not even like speculation that's just no but I don't factual I don't yeah but what I I think what we're arguing here that's not what we're arguing here if if Ben's take on the situation is accurate that makes Doc Rivers not a player's coach I don't think the Sixers treated Ben like he had mental health problems. That's yeah, not how the Sixers approached think, it as an organization. You said, you said it's like very believable and plausible. I don't think that's the issue. Like, yeah, like that definitely could have happened. Doc could have been frustrated and done it. Like, it's not like it's a crazy story he's telling. I just think that we need, like, just because Ben gave this conversation and was honest and seemed to talk like openly about some things i just think that we should be careful to immediately believe absolutely everything he's saying and to be honest i've been in a coaching position before i've I've never coached grown men before but sometimes there's this thing called tough love and sometimes young players need it when they don't realize it and ben simmons if look if he wasn't ready to play why show up in the building? Because it, well, because they were finding him, and he wasn't trying to lose the money at first. Remember, but it's not he, about he the money. It wasn't. But, 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 it, he, he said he, it wasn't about the money. He said it wasn't about the money. But he also said he wanted to try to be a good teammate. All that stuff. Yeah, that he. That's what he, he, said he says. To do the right thing. Trying to handle it the right way. Words. And all I'm saying is, to, in defense of Doc as a coach, you're like, look, you're the second highest paid player on this team, and you showed up. You should you you showed up. You came in the building. You got your gym shorts on. You got you got your you know, your cell phone in your pocket, or I'm sorry, your jersey in your pocket. That tells me that if you showed up, you're ready to play. I'm going to show you tough love because I've been in this position before. All right. I coached the Orlando Magic 2000 whatever. I'm going to show this player tough love. And Ben took it. He couldn't handle it. I mean, guys, I I think we're like taking Ben's I don't care about the money statement a little bit like you know how are we supposed to take Chris? To that. how are we supposed to take that Chris if it's not yeah, about the money to risk giving up money but like does that mean he's like willing to donate his entire life savings to charity no like clearly he cared about the money to some extent you want the money if you can have it but the idea that he's just n- not going to try to recoup any of that or that he wouldn't show up to practice if they're threatening to find him like like what what are we doing like of course he would he was if he's trying to do the right thing and you're making him show up with the penalty of finding him but he doesn't want to play like that's a pretty believable set of circumstances like he would be there because you want him to be there but he's not comfortable playing and then doc makes him play or whatever but like i like, of course, he cares about the money. He he's not like gonna, a nun who's going to donate it all and go live in the desert. But like, <laughs> hey, Jonathan, I'm sorry, Chris. Jonathan, didn't you write an article about it's time for Ben Simmons to retire? Did you write that? He did. He did. I, I yeah. wouldn't 
it was I wouldn't be surprised if he is no longer playing at the end of his next contract. I heard you broke all types of records for the website, and I'm going to go back and reread that. I read it once, but I have a prediction. I think all's going to be well with Brooklyn, and then when the wheels fall off and Katie and Kyrie get into Mamba mentality, if Ben isn't quite ready, it's it's going to be ugly. And I, I think Ben is – It might. He's it skating might. on thin ice. We'll see. We'll see. It could be fine, or maybe he's in a better place now. We honestly don't know. But yeah. I think on that note, we spent over we spent forty two minutes on this one section of the podcast. We still got two more things to talk about. So let's talk about that and switch gears. So, Jonathan, as you know, the Sixers have upgraded their depth so much so people are saying this is the d- deepest team that Joel's ever had around him. Fair argument. But do you think the Sixers are, are the deepest team or have the deepest roster now in the NBA going into the season? Yeah, like you said, uh, we just spent a long time on the on the last topic. I can keep this one pretty quick. I mean, I honestly think they have the deepest roster, and it's and I don't even really think it's close. I mean, you can just run through the bench with like Trez, House, Corkmaz, Melton, Milton, Millsap, Niang, Reed. Millsap is not back. Millsap is gone. Thank God. Matisse and Joe. But even even without that, that's 14, like counting the starters, that's 14 players right there who all outside of Joe and Reed during the regular season, like the rest of the players actually played meaningful basketball minutes last year. And to have almost your entire roster filled out with people who have done that, I mean, I, I think they're absolutely the deepest team. And ideally when you come around to the playoffs, that should cut down to like eight or nine people getting minutes and, that's going to be – everyone's going to be fine-tuned by that point. I, I think we're in a really good spot uh, bench-wise. Yeah, Chris, I think me and you are going to agree, but you go ahead first. Yeah, I, I mean, they certainly have one of the deepest rosters in the NBA for sure, 100%. Like, there are different ways to define depth, I guess. It's like Philly has a great – like you said, John – 10 through 15 are all guys who have, for the most part, played in the NBA in some capacity, or at least like 10 through 13, 14. And there's value in that. Does Philly have the best, like, six, seven, eight man in the NBA? No. Like, Boston has Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. Like, you could say the Celtics are deeper in terms of the guys who are actually going to play regular minutes most nights. Or, like, a team like Memphis, who is just as deep, if not deeper, They've spent last season trying to whittle the roster down from 20 to 15 because they had too many like NBA-level players. Like Memphis is a team that's a candidate for deepest in the NBA, Boston. So Philly's not the only team in that group. But this is certainly the deepest team of the Embiid era. I think Paul Reed, Isaiah Joe, Shake Milton, these guys who aren't going to really play regularly would probably play for a lot of teams. So they're certainly in the conversation. 100%. So, actually, Chris, I thought we were going to agree. Um, no, Philly's not the deepest team. I give them maybe top five, definitely top ten, but maybe top five depth in the NBA. Right now, I would have to say the Clippers are the deepest. They have legitimately 15 players that would be in any team's rotation. They legitimately have 15, 13 to 15 players that would be legitimately getting at least 15 to 18 minutes a night on anybody's rotation. Like their depth is insane. I just, Boston's a good 
choice two. Memphis is solid, but I just have to go with the Clippers here. And that's why I think they're the favorites to come out of the West, honestly. Like, I know the Warriors just won it all, but, like, if the Clippers are healthy, I don't see them losing. So, yeah, no, I'm going to go – I'm going to go with Clippers on this one. Sixers probably have definitely have top 10 depth, arguably top five, but I'm going to give it to the Clippers there. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think Boston's 14th, 15th guy are meaningfully better than Philly's 14th or 15th guy. Like, I, I think that's overstating it a little bit, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. We haven't seen Jason Preston play in the NBA yet. We haven't seen, like, like, I don't. I'm not saying Philly has the best depth chart. Like if I had to pick, Memphis easily ran away with that title last season, and I think they'd be a good candidate to run away with it this season. Well, they did lose Melton and Kyle Anderson. Yeah, Boston by far has the best like top eight. Like their their top of the bench guys are far above any other team in the NBA. So like it depends on how you're defining depth. Um, Yeah. But, like, as far as the best 10 through 15, like, bottom of the bench guys, Philly's up there. Especially, you know, it depends on who's coming back or who's not. Like, Bassey, Springer, Joe, those are guys who, as much as we like them as Sixer guys, they haven't really played in the NBA yet much at all. So, there's some level of, like, personal bias there for us, too. Because, like, I think we like Isaiah Joe more than Isaiah Joe has actually proven himself to be an NBA player. We like the idea of Isaiah Joe, and we've seen the flashes, but Joe still hasn't done anything in the NBA yet. Charles Bassey hasn't played meaningful NBA basketball yet. So, like, those are things we have to consider here. But, yeah, it, Philly's in the top five. They're in the conversation. And they have, they have like, good contingency plans for potential injuries this year, which just hasn't been the case in the past. So that's going to help a lot. Yeah, that, that's fair, guys. That's fair. Let's go to the starting five. Jonathan, where do you think Philly's starting fives compared to the other starting lineups in the East? Or in the NBA as a whole? Let's just do the East, though, for now. Well, so the Bleacher Report had us third in the NBA. So uh, it was Warriors, Celtics, us, Clippers, Nuggets. Um, and... I mean, honestly, I think Warriors have the best, so you put them one. And then two through five, you could probably organize anyway, and and I would be okay if you argued it that way because uh, I think those five are, are pretty um, set as being like the top five teams with their starting lineup. But uh, I would say I think the Sixers have a better starting five than the Celtics top to bottom that's expecting like everyone on our team to play at, at their best, Maxi to continue to develop. Um, so in the East, I think Sixers have the best starting five. Um, you know, I, I agree with you, John. I think the Bleach Report in general, the top five is pretty solid. I would put Milwaukee in that tier as well. I might put Milwaukee number one, frankly, if everyone's healthy. Like that team would have won the East if Middleton wasn't hurt, I think, last season. Like Agreed. I still think the Bucks are the team to beat in the East, frankly, this season. Um But yeah, like, like those six teams, Milwaukee, Denver. Clippers, Sixers, Celtics, Warriors. I think those are the six teams to compare here. I can't really argue with Golden State at number one. They just won the championship. And that, like, four-man core is one of the great four-man cores we've ever seen, or three-man cores, um, with Wiggins, Barnes, Durant, whoever you want to throw in there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, they're all very close, neck and neck. I, I really am hesitant to, like, make a concrete proclamation like Boston has a case I think Boston's 
fourth and fifth best players are better than Philly's fourth and fifth best players. But Joel is maybe still a tad above Tatum. And I think James could be better than Jalen Brown if he's back to the James Harden we're familiar with. So they kind of balance each other out in a way. Um, I'd probably pick Milwaukee if I had to pick a team from the East, but Philly's right there second or third for sure. Gosh, this is a hard one, guys. Um, because on paper, if we're thinking about it on paper, you got to throw the Nets in there too, right? Yeah, that's true. So, so look, I think Philly is certainly a top three team starting five-wise in the East. NBA-wise, it's still the Warriors, in my opinion. Just that core has been so good for so long. But we call the Sixers starting four out of the five starting five of core four, right? So if we're keeping true to that, let's look at the other – let's look at Boston Celtics. I mean, Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the um, Nets, right? Let's just take those other three teams. Joel, Giannis, and Tatum, and Durant are all awash as the best player. I think they all kind of balance each other out. One might be slightly better than the other, but it's like a fairly even level. Second best player in the, those group. James Harden, Jalen Brown, Chris Middleton, and Kyrie Irving. Probably right now, you probably give it to Kyrie, right? Third best player. Mm, I, 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 Kyrie might be the worst player you just listed. Um, really? Like, I, I think my point being, I think they're all pretty close. I, I don't think like Kyrie's a runaway favorite there. I, I think James would probably be the guy I picked out of those. Really? Players. Okay. Okay. But like I. Jalen was probably better than James last season. If we're just like strictly like, like how close to prime form do we think James is going to be? I, I don't think any of it. I guess that's the biggest sure. Yeah. I guess that's the Jalen is still getting better. Kyrie's obviously brilliant. And you know, Middleton, Chris, you guys you know Middleton. how I feel about Chris Middleton. I think he's yeah. awesome. So I, I think that's that, a pretty that, tight group. Yeah. And then you got the third best player in each group. You got Tyrese Maxey, Marcus Smart, True Holiday, and Ben Simmons. Tyrese Maxey's the worst one out of that group. As much as I love him. Yeah. I, I think I think he could pass Marcus this year. Yeah, he could, but I mean Marcus is the reigning defensive player of the year. So like that's that's the tricky one. But yeah, right? like I, I think yeah. he's starting in fourth place there. Yeah, yeah. And then and fourth I think best Drew player. is a pretty clear number one for yeah. me at least. And then that fourth tier, you got Tobias, you have what Al Horford, I guess, or no, Robert Williams, even though he's going to be out for half a portion of the season. Um, you got who would you put? Brooke Lopez, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then who is it for? Like I don't know, Joe Harris maybe for for the for the Nets. Yeah. So I I would say out of that group, Tobias is probably the best one. So, <laughs> um, I know I you love Robert, Lopez. I think Robert Williams would be the best one in that group. I don't. I don't know. That's that's a tough one. I, I think that's closer than what you think it is. But anyway, I I, no, I, I, I think they're all close. Like all three, all four of those tiers are pretty close. These are all neck and neck teams. Yeah. I, I if you're telling me to choose one right now, I probably have the Sixers at third. Yeah, they all have superstars who are top 10 players. They all have great number twos. They all have really strong number threes and pretty strong number fours. With maybe the exception of Brooklyn, but Brooklyn has a lot of offensive talent that fits really well together on paper. So I I think they all balance out. 
Yeah, I'm going to Boston. A lot of the appeal is that they have Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White and Peyton Pritchard and all these great players on the bench. So yeah, there are other things. Uh, Well, well, with Robert Williams being out, do you start one of those guys and go small to begin the year and have Tatum at the four? It's a tempting idea. No, I mean either that or you do Grant Williams. Yeah, and Grant Williams. Like a yeah. top 100 player probably after last season. Like they have a ton of great. I think players. he did make he did make the top 100 for yeah. yeah. So, I, I so to my answer short, I think I put Philly third behind Milwaukee and Boston. Yeah. And like going back to the depth thing, that like Boston 10 through 15 probably isn't better than Philly, but five through 10 they're just straight up monsters in a way that Philly's bench is not. As much as I like Milton and House. In Yang and Trez and those guys, like Boston has a better bench unit that's going to play in the playoffs. Look, so. Malcolm Brogdon, be when he was healthy, he was a borderline all star last year. Yeah, like okay. Brogdon, White, Williams, all those guys are better than anyone on Philly's bench. <laughs> yeah, they have three or four guys who are better than the Sixers' sick man. As much as I love DeAnthony Melton, so that's something you have yeah. to factor into the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to talk about players who could be in line for a breakout season. John, we're going to go to the role players first. Let's just stick with the bench. Which guys do you think are most likely in your mind to have a breakout season? I think it's going to be Thibel. And if you'd asked me this question at the end of last season, I definitely would not have answered that way. And maybe I'm being hopeful uh, because – uh, if if he doesn't really show out this year, I, I don't see his time on the team like necessarily continuing after that. Um, and his struggles at the end of that last season were well publicized and then on and off court time with the vaccine um, mandate. So I, I think that a lot of people maybe have a negative opinion or thought process on what he's going to look like this year. But uh, obviously there's been some reports that he's been putting in a lot of work this off season, bulked up a little bit. They say his shots looking a little better, which honestly is all he really needs. Like if he can just stretch the floor enough where it's believable that he can knock down these shots so that there's more spacing, less doubles on Harden and Embiid, then that that's just really all we need him to do on the offensive end is, is have that threat because he's such an impact on the defensive end. So I'm, I'm really hoping it's Thibel. Yeah. For me, as much as I would like it to be Thibault, and trust me, if he if he did become like a reliable three point shooter, then you could argue he should start over Tucker. I'm going to say Melton. Look, I've said this since the trade. Melton's bound to be having a breakout year. Outside of Tyrese and James Harden, he does not have a loaded backcourt like he did in Memphis. Okay, like, well, <laughs> outside of two potential all stars. Yeah, but like, like look, 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 he's he's and Tyus Jones. And Desmond Bain. It's not like there weren't guys ahead of him in the backcourt there. Dylan Brooks too, but okay, yeah. Yeah. So like he's like, the third guy here. He's he was not the third guy in Memphis. He was like maybe the fifth or fourth or fifth guy in Memphis. Like he's gonna get more touches here. Now Montrez Harold does bite into that a little bit offensively, but like still I, I'm gonna go with Melton on this one. Yeah. I I I, I mean I, I tend to agree. I think Melton's going to have the biggest year out of anyone on the bench. And I, I don't want to oversell like the, he has, a, like, I, I don't think he has a particularly bigger role necessarily in line. Cause like he was 
pretty much the sixth man, seventh man in in Memphis too. And he, you know, was playing twenty five minutes a night. Like he's probably that's about what he's going to play in Philly. Like he's going to spend most of his time playing next to another ball dominant guard in either James or Tyrese, which I think is going to help him, and I think he will help them in certain ways. I think it'll be mutually beneficial in all you know all around. He's a great defender, and he's going to be a big revelation just because Philly's in a bigger market. I don't think people like appreciate how good Melton is, and more people are going to have the chance to watch him play this year, and that's going to be cool. And I think his reputation is going to soar because of that. But like, I don't know if he's going to break out necessarily. I just think more people are going to pay attention to him because he's on the Sixers. Um, you know, I, I think Isaiah Joe would be the one that we are all also kind of expecting to some degree. I, I'm, ho- I'm not expecting, but hoping. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Like, I don't know if he's going to play. Like, as much as we want it to happen, as much as we think it could happen, I don't think he's ahead of Shake Milton or George Yang right now. I, I don't even know if he's ahead of, like, Furkan solidly in Doc's mind. And... You know, it's his contract year. It's kind of now or never to see if he has something in the tank. But I don't know if I trust Doc to let him try that out. So, Melton, I, I, I like the Thibault pick. I, I read the article, too. It's like good, like a good hype machine article before training camp. I, I don't, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. He just has such a long way to go offensively. But. It would be great if Thibel like learned how to shoot and dribble. That'd be awesome. I, I hope it's the case. Um, you know, Paul Reed would be nice too, but that Trez thing kind of threw some cold water on that particular hype train. So, what? What? But what if Doc actually did like? How would you feel if Doc chose Reed over Trez? for the majority of the regular season. I'd be fine with it. I think there's a chance Reed is better than Trez in the very near future, if not already. Like I, I think Reed Reed's the better defender already. Reed that's, is a great that's... potentially great defensive player, like as great as Trez is offensively, and Trez is gonna feast off of James and the numbers are gonna be really great in the regular season. And I have no doubt that he's gonna help in the regular season. You can't play Trez in the playoffs and I think Reed has the chance to be a real impact defender night in and night out. And there's generally speaking, I think more value in a good defensive center than a good offensive center, especially when you have James Harden and a bunch of shooters out there already. But yeah, I, I would not mind I picking Paul Reed over Montrezl Harrell. I wouldn't have signed Montrezl Harrell, to be honest. I, I would have just let yeah, Paul that, Reed show, but like I would have I wouldn't have signed a veteran that was like perceptively not saying that he is actually but the perception of him that he's better like yeah. i would have gone for a, like a clearly he wasn't on the market but like a bismack biombo type of backup center you know what i mean like a guy that's been there but like like cody zeller he's on the yeah. market right now but like no actually he's not i think he he just signed a deal but like, like you get what i'm saying that yeah, type of guy yeah. trez is gonna be so good in the regular season like we're gonna he's gonna make us eat any like criticism during the regular season he's going to be great in the regular season i have no doubt that he can help the sixers win and that james is going to put him in a great position to succeed but it's paul reed's contract year two and the sixers have to figure out what to do with him beyond this season and him being stuck in that third center role is is not super ideal for that 
And you want to win games. You're trying to win now. Trez doesn't help in the playoffs, though. So it, it's a, a tough balance to strike. I, it's hard to complain because he's more than worth the money that they paid him. But Reed would be the breakout candidate, I think, if not for the Montrez signing. Fair enough. All right. Let's talk about the starters now. John, um, do you think there's a real breakout candidate here not named Tyrese Maxey? <laughs> <laughs> That's um, not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> like, obviously, Tyrese is the big breakout candidate, right? Like, we all agree with that. Tyrese yeah, yeah. could take the third-year yeah. leap that a lot of young players take. Yeah, so I'll go and just say Harden. And the way I'll say it is, do you remember when, like, when we originally traded for Harden last February, the, like, people were just – fantasizing, daydreaming, going crazy about what it's going to look like when he's healthy, like the hamstring's good, and he starts playing with Embiid. Everyone was like, he's going to look like Houston Harden. It's just going to be like the best offense. We're going to win a championship. I mean, that was like what was going on in Philly, um, at least like sports talk radio. And so at the obviously there were points like that didn't happen, and there were points last year where he was looking rough and kind of washed. Uh, he obviously just turned 33, I think a month ago. So it's not like impossible to say that maybe he's turning that corner of like getting old, especially with that insanely high usage rate that he had in, uh, with the Houston Rockets. But I'm going to cautiously convince myself otherwise and say that he's going to at least more closely resemble what he used to offensively than what he looked like last year. I'm, I'm hoping that that was a one-off. And so for this, I mean, outside of Maxi, I'm going to say that I think he's going to break out and surprise people about what he looks like based off what we use as a most recent reference point of last season. I'm going to take a, a left turn here and say PJ. No, I'm not going to say PJ Tucker. I'm going to say Tobias Harris. We saw glimpses of it in the playoffs where he was really a really good lockdown. He had, you know, like played really good defense. I think not in terms of like scoring wise, but look, I see him as a hyper efficient two way player, that type of breakout season where he embraces a new role and does really good in it. Kind of like the Andrew Wiggins role that Wiggins did for the Warriors last year as a like a defensive guy, two way player. I think that's what we're going to get from Tobias and I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I like what both of you guys said. I, the Tobias Harris that we saw at the end of last season was by far the best version of Tobias that we've gotten in Philadelphia. And if he can keep that going, that would be quite helpful to the Sixers, and I think it would be the best basketball version of Tobias for this team. So I agree with the Tobias Harris point. I agree with the James Harden point that you made, John. I think there's a good chance that he looks pretty significantly better than he did last season. You guys know, if, if people have been listening to the podcast this long, Lucas, you know, like, prime James Harden in Houston was my guy. I've never been afraid of talking up James Harden, like, historically. Yeah. That guy was one of the greatest offensive players we've ever seen. So, if he can get closer to that level, I will be over the moon elated. I mean, if we get near prime James Harden next to prime Joel that moves Philly pretty close to title favorites in the East. Like James Harden is that good if he is actually that good. So for the people that tuned in, thank you for tuning in. We also want to thank Jonathan Guy for 
offering his insight on the Sixers. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Uh, don't forget to read Jonathan's stuff on the Sixer Sense website, along with Lucas and Chris and myself. So next time we'll talk, guys, I think we'll have some training camp uh, media day stuff to talk about. So it's really exciting to know that's around the corner. Before we sign off, make sure you subscribe. You can find us on Audible, Apple iTunes, Spotify. You know where to find us. Until next time, you guys take care out there, and we'll catch up with you next time. Powered by Riverside.